This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. For the ones standing guard. For the eagle-eyed. For the knights in shining armor. And for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com slash safety or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm your Samson Folk, and today a fantastic guest, somebody who among the guests I typically have would scale pretty high on basketball feel or intelligence, whichever he prefers, but a draft analyst, a basketball YouTuber over at Submi In Coach on YouTube, Rebel, here to talk about the Raptors, some draft stuff, and just basketball in general. How you doing, man? I'm good. That was probably like the best intro I ever gotten. So I'm happy. Uh, I'm happy you did that. Thank you. You wouldn't believe how often people say that. I'm starting to think it's a talent. Like maybe I shouldn't even host the podcast. I should just be doing introductions for other people's <laughs> more successful podcasts. I should. That would make a lot of money. It's easy, easy to do. Yeah. Price of the brick going up. That's, <laughs> that's what it is. Okay. So we're going to lean on your expertise and from what I've seen so far, because I've had you on the podcast a couple of times and we've talked about development and how skills are developed and how players are translating their game and most recently talked about the draft and your takes on the draft have been, as I can tell so far, very, very accurate. Even Devin Vassell, a guy who I think was slept on quite a bit. I know you were pining for him. I know that he was one of the guys you thought the Raptors, if they were going to trade up, man, he would be a nice guy to get. He's having one of the most impressive defensive seasons for a wing coming into the NBA for some time. The steal percentage is really, really high. So I don't want to start with the draft, though. We'll get into that in the back end of it. But the Raptors' current roster, Fred Van Vliet, big year so far, Pascal turning the corner, and I just want to start there, Fred, Pascal, because they are, you know, everybody wants to talk about those two. What have you thought about their game so far this season? Has anything jumped out to you? Are you disappointed by anything? Yeah, we'll talk about Fred first. Um, if you guys don't know, Fred is basically my favorite uh, Raptor. Uh, I always just overlook his um, shortcomings and always want to stand for him. Uh, the biggest thing I've seen from Fred is how uh, good he has been as a pick and roll manipulator and not in terms of like uh, toying with the tag man and, you know, reading uh, where the help is coming to make the pass, but actually uh, like playing with screen angles and um, setting up screens and stuff and like snaking uh, the pick and roll on that. And like, he's looked amazing um, in that regard. And it has gotten him way more easy shots. He's been getting to the rim much more. And those passing angles are like clear as day now. It's just a matter of if he's actually going to pass it. But um, he's been he's been so amazing in that regard. And that has unlocked uh, more pull-up shooting opportunities. Uh, he's I think he's shooting close to nine threes a game now, which is what uh, you want him to do. Uh, hopefully he gets back to 10 again because that's what he was doing uh, in the beginning of the season because he's one of the best shooters in the NBA. And, you know, if you're a great shooter, you should take a lot. So, um I think that, uh, like the pull-up shooting, the PNR manipulation, and uh, there's some, there's been some uh, passing improvement as well. Like uh, there's been some surprising kickouts where he's like clearly wants to get a layup, and like he would have gotten blocked last year, and he just swings it to the corner last second. That's been impressive to me as well. And yeah, those three things are, um, those three things are 
what I've seen him improve the most at. Okay, so you talked about, you know, playing with the tag guy, and you talked about some of these kickouts. There's a clear intention to manipulate weak side defenders as well, especially if he wants to get the ball to the corner. He's looking above the break. His body language says that the ball goes elsewhere. That's important. But since we're talking about pick and roll manipulation, how he's attacking screens, setting up defenders, and using his screener, do you see a large difference between how he attacks, obviously on way higher usage than Pascal? Can Pascal replicate anything that Fred is doing? Does he have shortcomings in the same way? I just think Pascal doesn't get a lot of ball screens, though. That's that's my, <laughs> yeah. that's you know that's my biggest problem with Nick Nurse. It's just like let him handle. Um, I think Pascal is in like the 90th percentile of um, as yeah. a PNR ball handler, but he's barely been allowed to do it. So um, I think Pascal doesn't need it as much. You know, with Fred, he's not really bursty and uh, he doesn't really accelerate well. So he has to be really crafty to win. And Pascal just has such like long strides and he's pretty fast for a 6'9 guy. And he doesn't need to just... He doesn't need that craft if he has those physical tools. So that's uh, the main difference for me. Okay. And not to be, I'm playing them off of each other. I hope I'm not, you know, putting these guys against each other, just similar steps to be taken. You highlighted during, I can't remember which game, but that Siakam, his approach to scoring probably won't ever lead to great efficiency since he settles for a lot of touch shots instead of just laying it up. You, you highlighted the past six games. He's been bumping his man on his first step instead of the second, helping to draw fouls. Have you noticed anything else for Fred as well as Pascal? In, because Fred has been going to the line a lot more often too. I think Fred still has uh, inconsistency to getting to the line. I just think he's mm-hmm. getting to the rim a lot more. But uh, Fred's been better at like extending his arms out to get like fouls before he actually puts it up. So... Usually he would try to bump his man and then try to like uh, get a readjustment angle. So when he bumps and like, uh, you know, like the defender bumps back, he doesn't get the call, even though like it's an obvious foul. But I think he's just been better at like uh, just the little things. Those like uh, the the dark arts is what some people say. (laughs) And I think he's been um, just, just better in those like veteran moves and stuff like that. So that's how I think Fred is getting calls. Do you, when you're looking at a prospect, let's say just some guy in North Carolina hooping and he drives to the rim, let's say if he's a guard, are you wanting to see the football carry or maybe the extend really low like James Harden does for the sweep through, the ball comes high? What type of carry are you liking to see when the pickup point comes for a guy who is going to draw a lot of fouls? What seems the most advantageous? Um. I I always want to see like vers- versatility. Can you do like can you do all of it combined? And it mm. also depends for me like what type of physical tools you have. Like Ant doesn't need to like Ant could just tuck it in and then just finish at the rim because he just you know like people are gonna bump off him. But someone like quickly needs to like really extend his arms out because he has a huge wingspan and he can get fouled that way. So it's like it's just it has to be like. It, ha- it differs from prospect to prospect. Um, but those things are also like uh, st- like stuff that are, is t- super teachable. It could be like developed in season. So it's not like, oh, he can't, like he doesn't have like a uh, foul drawing ability. That's not going to make me automatically lower lower on him. I think it's like, uh, if anything, it's just like if he adds that, then he'd even be better. You know what I mean? So Fred, when it comes to the foul drawing, there's, there's less he's able to do, and he has a similar body type to Kyle, although Kyle, you know, you, you used the term bursty earlier. Kyle, especially in his younger years, a lot more bursty than Fred in his prime. But the bones of foul drawing and efficient finishing at the bucket, especially since Fred has a lethal pull-up attached to his game, do you think he should start emulating more of what Lowry does with the two-foot stops, the big bump, instead of finishing off of one leg, bumping on the second step and that kind of stuff? Or is it just he's going to have to figure out to manipulate in his own way in different ways? So the way Lowry finishes is very unconventional. Like those, like, like the way he gets his spots and the way he's jumping, like he, he's hop stepping through like two defenders and like, it's kind of unheard of. And I don't think it's like rep, replicable. 
Mm. Yeah, like I don't think it's like um just like you can't like a lot of people just can't do that. So um I don't like Larry has more bounce to him as well. So I think he I don't think Fred is um that type of athlete. So um I think Fred instead of actually like trying to finish, I think he should be like passing it out in those difficult ones. And like the, I've highlighted that in my uh, how, Fred, how Fred can improve his finishing uh, video that he just needs to, you know, kick them out instead of um, attempting difficult layups. Cause it's fine if you're getting there, you don't have to score every time there. You, if you're drawing the defense, you should just, you already, um, you're making your teammates better that way. And it improves your uh, value as a player. So um, instead of like trying to do all these difficult finishes, because even though Lowry's a great athlete, those are still difficult finishes. And he's like a decent finisher. Like he's 60% of the rim. That's really good for a small guard, but it's still like decent when you're talking about like actual NBA players. He should just kick out and be more of like a pull-up shooter type. Okay. I like that because I've long been of the mind that you know, I, I was looking at it more so just not even adjusting for Fred's limitations as far as burst or his ability to finish and his footwork and saying, well, look at what Lowry's doing. Lowry is very intentional in the way he attacks the drop guy. He can, you know, bounce him into the stanchion, as you say, hop stepping through the lane. And the amount of shoulder slots and ways that Lowry can finish are kind of absurd as well. So it's nice to hear that Fred might have to just play to his strengths which he does because he passes out of drives, I think, at a higher clip than anybody else. But, okay, so Fred, he's not going to draw a ton of fouls in his career, but he can improve. The pick-and-roll manipulation, he's improving. The shot-making, that seems to be the logical thing that everybody knew was in his bag. What is the conceivable, the conceivable level you see it reaching? Because he's already, you know, he's got a feather in his cap as a shooter in the league. Players know that, but can he ascend to the top, top, top? Do you see the bones of it in his his jump shot mechanics? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, especially with him taking those deep ones, like he's not mm-hmm. someone that gets a crazy amount of separation. So um, him having to shoot those deep ones is important for him, and him just being more willing to. Like, um, I think people don't understand like that. Uh, how like Fred's a shooting guard like he was like a three and D guard last year mm-hmm. and he has to be like a scoring guard like he took bad shots but it's not bad shots of like isolation like one-on-one it was just be like um shots like like early early shot clock he'll just pull a three or something like that it's like it's like I think he has like way more in this um bag as an isolation player and Get when he gets a switch, like he should be taking a deep three instead of trying to blow by or something like that. Just those decision making, um, um, like that decision making and feel as an isolation player, I think he ha- still has uh, room to grow, even though it's pretty solid now. But I think, like you said, there's another level that he can get to, and that's pretty, um, it's not hard to see him do that, you know what I mean? Like, I, I believe that we haven't seen, um, we haven't seen like him reach his ceiling as like an isolation score and like a one-on-one pull-up, like, you know, like a deep pull-up guy. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe this is two years ago when I first thought two and a half, maybe when I first thought this, that Fred, the load at the bottom end of his jump shot kind of always reminded me of Curry. So I thought he'd be able to translate the deep shooting pretty well. And I think his, his jump shot is friendly to that since it's so low to the ground, but yeah. So my question for you is I've long thought that the most advantageous to, thing to do in isolation, if you got to switch on a big, is if you can draw fouls on the big. And that's the best way to continuously attack that type of, uh, that type of matchup. But Fred, you know, with the Rico Hines three that he very intentionally added during the summers, that seems to be a way to attack as well. Do you think that he can get to, you know, the, there are players like Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry, and even DeMar DeRozan, just they all in different ways figure out how to get bigs into trouble. And none of them, Lowry the most, and none of them are overly reliant on the pull-up three against those. But Fred, do you think there's a route for him to dominate? Because you did say that he that's a, a route for a better isolation offense. Do you think it would work in switches? Because I think so far it's a small thing, but 
Fred switching out against a big has been less advantageous than most people would like it to be. Yeah. Um, just the threat of being a good pull-up shooter will have uh, bigs a little bit more jittery. And if you have that threat and use the, uh, like, like the Steph Curry has you where he just looks up and he's about to shoot and then just gets by. If you, if you get him with that, you go one step, you um, do a head fake like you just got fouled. Those little things, I think he can add that. And uh, some players just don't like doing that. Like it's just not in their like it's not their style. Like um, begging for fouls, or, like I guess how you would say it. But um, I feel like that could really help him. Like he's not gonna be blowing by people or even bigs. Like bigs have gotten much better at like um, stay being on an island, in my opinion. So mm-hmm. it's not like he like guards can't always blow by them anymore but just having that one step and having them turn their hip and like that is enough just for a foul because you know bigs are still undisciplined as like perimeter defenders so um that yeah, that's definitely a way that he should uh be like more consistent as an isolation scorer against switches yeah i think exaggerating contact is very much a skill that players have to learn they have to start earlier because you have to some players know the angle that the ref is seeing the play at, and they know how it looks to a ref from that angle. Like, it's that minute for guys like Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, James Harden, you know, Trey Young to some degree. And I don't think Fred has ever kind of gamed like that. And he, he does all the intangible stuff that is kind of hard-nosed. And exaggerating contact isn't really a hard-nosed thing. And he's yeah, even though he's on, like, the whiniest team in the league as it currently stands, I don't think he profiles as that either. But, okay, Pascal, he's very clearly, well, to me, and if you disagree, great, because then we'll talk about it. But the post-up offense this year, I think, has taken a leap. It's much better. The passing is better. I know you really hate his jump passes, and those are still definitely a problem this year, especially when he's headed downhill or headed horizontally uh, against the half-court defense, but the passing much better. The handle still looks behind where it was at the start of last year when they were, you know, when he got off to his toward start. But the control in the post seems good. His countenance for where help side defenders are seems to be better. And the shooting maybe is coming back around. What have been your thoughts on Pascal so far this year? I think the biggest thing that... uh... I've seen improvement as is him passing as like uh like him reading the floor has been a little bit faster than last year. Like he still jump passes time to time and it's an automatic turnover every time. That's why I hate it. But um it's been quicker. Like he's seeing uh, passing angles quicker, um and he's been more willing. Like I think that's that's what I really wanted to see. Um because he's obviously not a number one option as a scorer. So um, how can you be more scalable if if you have a bad shooting night, right? It's being a playmaker because teams still send doubles to Siakam when he drives. So I think uh, that's how he's been able to increase his value as a player when, you know, he's going like 6 for 19 um, And also his mid-range just hasn't fallen off. Like, mm-hmm. um, I'd much rather him shoot a pull-up th- – like pull up mid range than a post up at this point. Like it doesn't even matter who's guarding him. Um, against bigs, I don't even care that he settles it because Pascal's Pascal always had issues against like seven footers because you know they have the length and the strength to bump him off his spot and uh, contest his like you know his shots. So I'd much rather him just settle for that uh, mid range pull up, and he's been hitting them all season. So uh, that and like him, you know, processing the floor quicker has been the biggest improvements to me. Okay, so when we're thinking about, to go back to your tweet, the touch shots, do you have a, does it matter to you if you're watching a prospect or a player how often they get to the front of the rim? Because I think the front of the rim is a lot more accessible than most players think. And unless there's obviously like a Rudy Gobert or somebody who is, you know, very, very intimidating there. But Pascal doesn't finish at the front of the rim very often. He has those touch shots where he's angling to go off glass. And as far as push shots, mid-range jumper, is there a shot that you like him to go to very often? Do you think there's something that he can unlock? As we were talking about Fred, there's things that he can improve upon. 
as far as his attacking, do you think that there's a ceiling bump for Pascal in any way? It just has to be, uh, like I said, how he's been experimenting with bumping his mad before uh, he takes a step. Usually, you take one step forward, you take one step like towards the defender and bump them and then finish. And he tries to do that, but he's not as strong to bump them and then finish at the same time. Like he's just not as coordinated and strong enough to do that. So him bumping his mad, taking the step, and then being able to finish is has helped him way more. And it's been getting him easy buckets instead of having to finger roll these layups and stuff all the time. Um, I think that, you know, just um, knowing how to use your tools better is probably the only way. I think he has a decent floater. Um, that the post game is all right. And uh, he has some finger roll touch, but it really just has to be the the contact. Like someone who's 6'9 and that fast should be getting to the line way more. And he's not. So that's his biggest issue to me. Do you see a difference in playmaking with your chest to the basket or your back to the basket? Do you think those are two completely different skills? Yeah, yes. I think when you're back to the basket, it's I think it's way easier. Honestly, yeah. like from what I've seen. Um yeah. but I think it's also cuz like teams just send like double doubles early. And with Pascal uh teams send doubles when they're in the post. And uh and people like to cut way more when someone's posting up cuz they I feel like NBA players just don't want someone to uh, shoot off a post-up. So every time they post up, like, Nora Powell automatically cuts, Bembry cuts. So it's like, I think it's much easier to play make. But when you have, um, what's it called? When you're looking at, like, five guys and you have to, like, manipulate uh, the tag man and you have to see if, uh, what's it called, the like you have to watch out for the dig and stuff like that. I think there's just way more variable. So that's, that was my opinion. Yeah. And I think there's less routes to take when you're in a post up. So players are, I would say less hesitant that they would crowd you because if you're headed downhill and let's say Bembry makes a 45 cut and you just cross over to your right on the way downhill, suddenly everything is crowded. Maybe there's two defenders in your space. And I think it's a little bit easier to control as a cutter when a guy has his back to the basket, which, which do you think Pascal has a higher ceiling in the chest to basket or back to basket passing? Chest to basket. Maybe because I want him to, but <laughs> I think it's way, I think, yeah, I don't know. I don't want him. I don't want to see him used as like a high, like high elbows and like hitting cutters there. I just don't think that's like, yeah, like I don't think that's that hard to do. And it just doesn't um, like, it doesn't really uh, – I feel like that's the thing OG should be doing. I feel mm-hmm. like, yeah, I think that's a way for OG to use his playmaking as, like, a short roller and, uh, like, you know, like a high, like a elbow operator. But, yeah, Pascal really just needs – I just really want him to use his playmaking off his scoring gravity and off pick and rolls. So, I feel like yeah, that's what I want him to – that's what I want the play types to be. Okay, and so – just to, for devil's advocate, if you're a nurse and you have a, as you said, 90th percentile or somewhere around there, ball handler in the pick and roll sitting on your team and you give him low usage, based on what you see from Siakam's game, what possible diagnosis do you have for low usage for a guy who's killing a certain play type? Um, sorry, what do you, like, what do you, like, why like, isn't sorry more? yeah yeah why why do you think nurse sees that because he's obviously aware of the numbers and what do you think it is in siakam's game that makes him hesitant to hand over that many uh plays or possessions in that type of play type i don't think it's i don't think it's him that's my issue i think it's just uh the raptors offense is just like they really just don't screen for pascal or they just leave him for island to isolate and like they just space out for him to let him work. And it's just extremely inefficient. And it's really annoying because you have two guards that are like 200 pounds and would be excellent guard screeners and are great shooters. And they barely ever screen for Pascal. So they were doing a lot in the, they were doing a lot in the Nets game 
when they were just trying mm-hmm. to uh, get as much mismatches as they could. But it should really just be a part, like, he should really have, like, consistent sets where he's just handling the ball. Like, uh, it shouldn't be, like, I shouldn't have to see it at, like, the end of the quarter, them running a stagger set or something like that. Like, it, that should be happening during a flow of a game, you know what I mean? I think it's more of a coaching issue. Like, just not letting the ball handle this rock. Like, you know, or, or like, trying to develop. Because OG barely ever gets to, you know, like, OG, I think, has seven possessions as a pick-and-roll ball handler. And the one he had where he snaked it last game yeah, and then spun exactly. in the lane, it's like, that if was you see crazy. Stuff like that, if you see stuff like that, like, why aren't you just letting that develop? Like, like I get it, you want to win games, but come on. like. Yeah, that does, that does interest me because when I think back to that Nets game, the Raptors, to me, won that. Like, a bunch of things happen in a game that you do well and you do bad, obviously, but the Raptors won that game by and large because of Pascal's third quarter where he had a ton of usage, ball screens, mismatches to, to work with, and he carried the offense and then they were able to pull away. Why not go to that more often? It, it confuses me as well. And I think Raptors, Twitter analysts media fans everybody has been a little bit perplexed at the lack of pascal on ball but yeah that that interests me fred pascal do you have a, a preference for all-star i'm fred oh fred but actually i don't think fred, I don't, i'm not gonna advocate for fred as an all-star i don't think he's all-star this year but uh if i had to pick up between them it would be fred easily okay that's interesting so just well, if you want to, if not, just we'll skip it. But uh, who are the guards just off the top of your head that are ahead of Fred? Because there are some for sure. I'm just wondering. Um, man, oh, you're going to put me on the spot. I haven't even thought of it. Well, uh, no, we can we can cut it. It's okay. No, but now I look. I don't want to be. I don't want to be ducking it. That's the thing. Um, <laughs> I think I see people say Trey hasn't been better than Fred. I think Trey has been better than Fred. Uh, you love Trey. I know you like Trey a lot. Yeah. Yeah, but like, e- like even as like, I mean, I love Fred Van Vliet too. So I, I agree. Like, oh, I agree that I agree that Trey yeah. has been better. By the way, yeah, and Zach Levine has an argument as well. So I would say mm-hmm. those guys. Um, I don't know anyone. Like, I don't really want to do an All Star ballot on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, people be mad at me on the spot, but yeah, I think those guys definitely. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't argue against those two guys making it over Van Vliet and definitely Beal, obviously too. So. I think Anthony, he was, he was asserting, and Anthony always gets in hot water on Twitter, but I think he asserted that Fred was having a better year than Beal. Anthony, if this is wrong, I'm sorry, but I think that he did, and I think he got ratioed pretty hard. But uh, yeah, it's tough to make the Eastern All-Star team this year. There's a, and because the, the, the standings are all kind of jumbled up, you don't want to award that many to the top teams, so middling teams might be able to get a couple more just based on numbers. That's where... Levine might pop a little bit more, but okay. That's, uh, that's very interesting to me. Okay, you ready to answer some Twitter questions? A bunch of people obviously wanted your opinions on a bunch of different things. So do you uh, ready to get into it? Yes, of course. Okay, we'll start with Hoop Goose, who is coming on the podcast at some time in March. Quote, for both of you, who are some under-the-radar players around the league you'd like to see on the Raptors? Could be to play a role or for development purposes – Malik Monk is the correct answer. Okay, end quote. Um, who do you like around the league? Who do you think fits on the Raptors? It can be low cost. It can be high cost. You know, I guess this is fanfic at this point, so do your thing. Um, I was literally going to say Malik Monk. I'm, I'm <laughs> like, why did, who, why did you say it? Oh, my God. That was an easy answer. No, but me and him have been talking about Malik Monk as a Raptor for a while, and it, you know. Um, so I'm going to pick... I mean, Rashawn would be nice, but I don't think that's going to be my pick. I don't know how realistic that is. Um, l- let's go just Ken Birch. I know he's not like a, like he's older, but I think Ken Birch would be a nice addition to the team. Oh, actually, sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll replace that. Uh, Mo Bamba. I would want Mo Bamba on the Raptors. Okay, so let's, let's dive into a little bit. 30 to a minute on Mo Bamba. What what's appealing about him to you? How do you think he would fit on the Raptors? Um, I mean, he's just he was just in a bad uh, developmental context, and I think people players that uh, go from 
a bad uh, development organization to a good one automatically have that upside. And uh, Bomba's like physical tools are still insane. And, you know, uh, there's no like, there's way less pressure for him to perform. Like, I feel like when you're in your, the team that drafted you, you're not doing well. There's always that pressure of like, man, we drafted him top five. He should be like an all-star. He should be the next Rudy Gobert. And he doesn't really have to worry about that. I feel like a fresh start would really help. And um, his rim protection and physical tools was pretty scary. And if you put that next to Pascal and OG, that would be fun to watch. So I'd I love to see him develop here. Okay. Uh, for me, Hoop Goose, I would keep an eye on one of the guys who will inevitably be out just of the rotation or not playing the type of minutes they'd like to play in Atlanta, whether it's Herder or Reddish or Collins or whoever falls out. I think that, and you know, there's, there's obviously varying degrees of potential in that grouping. And, you know, especially a guy like Cam, who a lot of people are down on lately, because obviously the inefficiency, but the the potential that he has packaged in is kind of absurd. Kevin Herter representing the low end of the potential part, but he's such a quality player. And John Collins, obviously a lot of players are looking, or not players, a lot of fans look at him as, you know, a sort of savior figure for the Raptors just because he would add so much offensive pop and uh, offensively a front court of him and Pascal could be pretty dynamic, I think. But if... I think you pay attention to a team like Atlanta or even the Hornets. And obviously Malik Monk is one of those guys, but there's a lot of interesting young players on those teams and just kind of sniff around. This is what teams should be doing with Hornets, Hawks, Kings, whoever, right? Is that if there's a guy that you see on the outs, try and pick them up. These are teams that are consistently picking at the top end of the draft. You use the term developmental context. And that's, that's the thing is you should be sniffing around and trying to replicate the best type of developmental space those players can use after they didn't get a chance to do it because they're still young. And so, yeah, Herder, uh, Monk, you know, Reddish, and any of those guys I think would be really fun. I know you like Cam a lot, right? Yeah, I like Cam and Herder a lot. Yeah. Um, I think Cam's just been – I don't think they're going to let go of Cam. They love Cam way too no, much. No, I don't think so. Herder is – Hurt is really good, man. Like, like he could be. Um, I feel like he's not hasn't been like the best shooter, but or like as good as a shooter as you're supposed to uh, be looking like. But he's a, a great passer. Like, so he'd be really nice, and he also has great size. I think he's like six six, six seven. So yeah, I would second love him side on action, Raptors. second yeah, side exactly. action. He's a beast. He's if you if you're gonna let the offense flow, and the ball comes to him, he's gonna make really great decisions, which. Bembry has been doing actually in second side action very well this year so far. Okay, this is a good one. I think you'll enjoy this question from Joe Wolfond. Quote, have the Raptors gone too far regarding flooding the strong side, doubling the ball, helping on drives, and flying by on closeouts? Has their scheme been solved? Should they scale back the aggressiveness? End quote. This is a great question because the Raptors have been succeeding with this scheme, overwhelming teams and making them play a type of offense that typically moves far away from their own scheme. Statistically, that's been true for basically two years at this point. What do you make of it? Uh, big yes, with all capitals. <laughs> um, the reason why we're, we're good at that, and it's such a complex scheme and very hard to do consistently, yep. is because of Marcus Hall, because he's an amazing defensive communicator. And then we have, to, we have Baines, who does obviously does not do that to that level. Uh, like, yeah, it's going to be hard. Like, we've seen guys miss rotations all the time, close out way too hard. And we've seen a lot of teams develop, like, the ability to just, instead of, uh, like, pump faking, get a guy jumping, and then try to drive, they just take sidesteps now and shoot the three regardless. So um, I think that's a great way to counter that. And, yeah, like, um, just complex defensive schemes are very hard to pull off consistently if you don't have a defensive communicator. So we should definitely be uh, become more conservative. And obviously the Raptors, they kind of ratcheted it up last year and they were an upstart team. They were having defensive success that people didn't really see coming at that level. And so the scouting report was less certain on what the Raptors were going to do this year. 
I think role players coming into a game against the Raptors know more shots might be coming their way. So be ready to fire away. Don't look to get the ball down into the teeth of the Raptors defense. That sidestep can work just as well. And I think there is, I, Blake used this term on the timeline, I think scheme preparedness for what the Raptors are willing to throw at them. And maybe the most camaraderie I've ever felt with you, Rebel was in the Raptors Republic group chat when you and I defend Marcus Gasol because apparently some people don't know how valuable he is defensively. But I'm also in the same boat as you. I think they are left very susceptible when they play that type of defense. They don't have all the tools. Many people for a long time have been saying, well, you have Lowry, Van Vliet, Pascal, and OG. You'll be able to make a really good defense work. Yes, totally in theory, but the way that this particular scheme works, you have to operate on a string. And Baines, for example, is consistently breaking the string. And the Raptors, there's just a ton of letdown. Second side action has obliterated them this year just because of all the holes that have been opening up. And Mark helped a lot with that. Okay, Jeff Lowe, quote, I'm assuming Norm is going to opt out. Are you extending him? Trading him or just letting him walk? I'll let you trading. answer this one. No, we're trading. trading? Norm. Yeah, we're always trading Norm. I'm always trading Norm. <laughs> um, okay, I really I, we have to we have to talk about Norm. Um, I think people think, and I certainly one of my weaknesses. Everyone has weaknesses analyzing basketball. One of my weaknesses is following guys that are just straight score first, score only uh, guards, and Norm literally brings nothing other than scoring the ball. But, uh, and then we got to talk about starter norm. Oh, starter norm is so good. He shoots so well. He, he's like, he fits great. He cuts. Um, he looks great as like a fourth option. Yeah, it's, that's all, that's cool and all, but we don't have a big and norm is not good enough. Like norm is not better than, he's not better than OG. He's not better than Fred. So you cannot start him. And he's like, it works for, it works for Norm, starting him with Lowry, Fred, Pascal, him just, you know, running around, getting open threes, you know, uh, getting cuts to the rim, easy lanes to the basket. But it doesn't work for the Raptors because he brings no playmaking. He's not a a pick and roll, like, um, like pick and roll threat, really. And his defense is like neutral at best. So it's just not a great fit for the team. And he's also pretty undersized for a small forward like he's basically a wing right because he doesn't have those guard skills so it's the best thing just to trade him while he's playing good like norma's been playing way better since the beginning of the season when i was making jokes about him like you know starting at china or whatever but yeah it just it should always be trade norm ever since last year it doesn't matter how good his numbers look it should always be trade norm and we should trade him for a pick not for uh uh like a replacement level big man that you could sign. Like, just take the L. You sign Baines. He was not good. Next year, you can sign Whiteside or something. Like, we don't have to trade Norman Powell for uh, an average big man. So trade him for a pick, and that's how you deal with the situation. Uh, you bring up that he's there's no creation on ball. Event creation is a term. I'm not sure if you use it as often, but I remember you using it in the summer. That was my introduction to it. Event creation, not really a big strong suit of his, and. Pin downs are in some ways creation, but they still require a guy to be posted in a certain spot offensively to feed you the ball. And if you could run a straight pick and roll, that guy can go somewhere more advantageous for the offense. And there's just, there's always that little thing missing with Norm. And it seems like the Raptors have to keep biting the bullet if they want to play the type of basketball that allows Norm to be his full self. And I think it comes at the cost of some of the other players on the team. So I agree with you. It's not, it's not the ceiling play to keep Norm because I think that, you know, OG has to develop in a certain way, Pascal, Fred, all of them. And while Norm is easy access offense in a lot of ways, I still think that the ceiling of the team operates with him coming off the bench or traded for a pick. He does, he does play an important role currently, though, because they need – consistent offense because they've been leaning towards inconsistent in a lot of ways. But yeah, Norm for a pick does sound enticing, especially since the Raptors aren't, you know, they could vault into the top four is in the Eastern conference this year. 
I still don't think that means that they have designs on like a finals play or anything like that. So yeah, I think I'm in the same boat as you. Okay. From Krina Mustafa, quote, did you see the ESPN article on the Raps being sneaky contenders again? Why are we so inconsistent in the type of team we are from the perception of our team to our actual wins slash losses? Uh, I asked her to send me that right after she, uh, she uh, sent that question. So I read it. Uh, it was using RPM, which I don't like. Yeah. Uh, so my thing is, it did bring up some good points saying that Lowry had a really bad start to the season as a scorer. And he's been, you know, he's kind of looked like old Lowry again, especially, uh, I know he hurt his ankle, but before that he was like amazing. And he's kind of looking back to himself, especially as a scorer. So um, him getting better. I mean, Lowry's the best player on the team. So if he, if your best player is looking better, you're automatically going to look good, especially if he's your game manager. And uh, Pascal has been better off, obviously, Norm, um, you know, he's back to earth. I mean, he's, he's like, like, like he was basically like, you know, buried, as you would say, but now he's just back to normal, uh, super efficient Norm. But yeah, I just, I think, I think we're not inconsistent. We're just, um, we weren't as bad as like the record showed. But we're also not a great team either. And I don't think we're near a contender. I think we're like a second uh, round exit as, at best because, you know, the defense is pretty bad, like honestly. Mm-hmm. And the offense is not something I would bet on, even though it, um, it kind of looks it looks better uh, schematically than last year. But it's not something I would run and rely on. So I don't think we're uh, an inconsistent team. I just think we're like a pretty – average team but the good thing is that the Celtics look bad the pace is like the pace look pretty decent but I don't think it's that sustainable like I'm, I don't see them as a threat and like even the Bucks like you know the Bucks are basically in, like you have to show me like what you can do in the playoffs mode so the Bucks the Nets and the Sixers are the only real like like you know the real uh powerhouses in the east and I think everyone else is in the same tier, but I wouldn't bet against us against the Celtics. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. we're just a pretty decent team. That's why I, I look at it. Yeah. I think the numbers, I read that article too. The numbers, they, it's just metrics. Basically. I, I don't think that there was any, anything really radical in the piece that kind of made me think, Oh yeah, this team really does have this unseen ceiling that you know we can all start aspiring for i i agree with you that a second round exit represents probably the ceiling of this team because the raptors as you say the defense not in a great place the offense while looking better still has holes in it that could make it just as you know failable when it comes to you know second round offense against a celtics defense for example but okay cashton fits him one cashton f quote Assuming the Raptors end up picking around 20th, are there any prospects we should be most excited about? Is my enthusiasm for Usman Garuba misplaced? No, it's not misplaced at all. Um, I think he would be great on the Raptors, especially if we uh, pick in the 20s. I think I'd probably want to look at a, like if there was a, a nice wing prospect that fell or like a guard prospect like James Springer, I'd probably take them over um, Usman. But Usman's really good. Like, um, he was supposed he was looking he was looked to be as like a top ten guy, but there wasn't really no uh offensive skill development. And like he plays for Real Madrid, so you know, like they don't really value development. They like they just want to win. So but he's a really like he's a crazy defensive prospect. He's a six eight big, so he's still small, but he's really strong and he has crazy movement skills and he's an amazing passer. So I feel like he's like Xavier Tillman, but like on steroids. And I think a lot of people, a lot of Raptors fans would love that, especially Sean. So. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, we'll go to that. As far as my half of the answer, I haven't been paying enough attention to draft stuff to say when it comes to draft time, I'll have rebel back on this podcast. If he'll, Grace the podcast, PD Web, the usuals, and I'll try and glean information from them and lean on what they're saying. But I haven't really dove into uh, draft stuff yet. But you brought up Xavier Tillman, Sean Woodley, quote, 
How many wins do the Raptors have right now if they take Xavier Tillman at 29, end quote? Okay, so what do you think? Is Xavier Tillman changing the fabric of this defense? Oh, yeah, he would, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I would, I, would <laughs> say, I would say, because the thing is, Xavier Tillman is so good as a defensive player yeah. and as a communicator, too. Like, he's just, he's awesome. But it probably like four, I would say four. I don't know if that I don't know what is like too high and what's too low in this. Couple wins of, here and there. That's yeah, not, couple that's not wins. too optimistic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's he's just he's good. Like, but it's not like I'm like, oh no, we should have drafted Xavier Tillman. I'm not gonna sleep. I don't I don't think I'm there yet. Uh or I will I won't ever be there. Uh I didn't love the Malachi Flynn pick, uh, as you I think mm-hmm. a lot of people know. Like if you listen to past podcasts, I would have preferred like, you know, Theo Maladon, but I mean, like we, we just got to see, like, you know, I don't think we should be judging 20 games in when Malachi is uh, barely getting touches and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Tillman is great. And we can say, wow, Tillman would have been a great pick, but that doesn't mean that Flynn is a failure. Just we're, we're all waiting for Flynn. He's been performing better in the G League bubble. The aggression in his game seems to be returning a little bit. And uh, he has that wiggle in the pick and roll. That's always nice to see. Okay, this one is probably the question I was most excited for to ask you via somebody else. So TMN underscore or 04 underscore. Quote, what are some traits that make you more comfortable about being in on a more raw slash toolsy prospect that doesn't have the actual basketball stuff quite figured out? Which 2021 guy fits that bill for you? End quote. Ooh. Um, Good Greg question, Brown. Right? Yeah, no, it is. Shout out to my guy T. I think he's one of my favorite Raptors followers, and I think he only has like 200 followers. So everyone should follow him. He's a really good Raptors and draft uh, guy. Um, so I think Greg Brown fits that. Greg Brown is, uh, I think, 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, he plays for Texas, a freshman. And he has like crazy bounce. Like if you just look up, if you look up like his high school mixtape or his dunks that he has this season, you're gonna be like, wow, like this is insane. And he has moments of sliding with like he he had Caden a lot of trouble when he played against uh, Oklahoma State. Like he slid very well with Cade, and um, I mean like you know he has the tools to get blocks and stuff like that. But you know he's a really low field player. And uh, not he takes a lot of threes, and he's not that good of a shooter. And he has one of the most terrible assist turnover ratios, like ever seen in a prospect. Like it's almost laughable. I don't know the exact number, but I think it's like I think it was like zero to like twenty at one point, like zero to <laughs> oh twenty. Yeah, it was bad. Now I think it's like probably like four and like thirty, but it's bad. But I mean, that's someone you're just looking at, like wow, like. If he could just figure it out, he has a lot of skills that NBA teams would like. So, what's your oh, the skill even, at the top? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't ask you that question. Um, what's the skill? I mean, I mean, athleticism is really hard to really talk about because it just covers so yeah. much things. Uh, obviously, like movement speed, lateral speed. Um, hmm, I think. Uh, it just depends what archetype. Like if we're talking about rim runner big, like Precious is pretty special in how fast he is. Like his end-to-end speed is crazy. So if if you see that, then you're just like, okay, I can bet on that, even though he was like a terrible offensive player. Um what's it called? Uh a block percentage, like Jaden McDaniels. He's been looking awesome as a one as a pick away rim protector. Yeah, Mr. One Pick Away. I, I never that's so that's the guy uh, that keeps me up at night. But yeah, um he he wasn't that good rotationally at Washington and now he barely misses rotation. So it's just little things like that. It's just they have like outlier skills and uh really good length and size that makes me intrigued. Uh I'm not like a guy that oh if he has low feel, I'm totally out on him. It just makes me think like, okay, if I, if you can reduce his role, what can you extract from him? Okay, so this is a question just from me, just because of where the conversation has gone. Who's the greatest low field player of all time? Ooh, all time. I, I, I don't know anything about like guys that haven't like 
Or sorry, I'm just just a guy that you know. Yeah, you okay. don't have to rate it against a guy the, you know uh, has low field. In the NBA, hmm, I don't know. It depends. I think Jalen Brown's up there. Oh, hmm. Jeremy Grant is up there. Well, Jalen Brown and Zach have improved their field, so I wouldn't say that they're low field anymore. But Jeremy is definitely up there because he just he just gets it done. Who, 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 Demar. Who are you snacking? Demar. Demar. He really low feel coming into the league. And even still, it seems like he's just gotten so good at making reads because he's seen the same defensive shift so many times in his career. Like, if you watch him pass going downhill, it seems very calculated. It doesn't seem smooth. Like, Lamelo, there's that improvisational bent to everything he does, and that's what makes him such a special passer. If he sees something new, his brain will figure out the way around it. But if you show something new to DeMar, he kind of has to take that in, process it with film. And then if he sees it the next game or next few games, then he'll have the answer. He's very much an adjustment guy rather than feel, I think. But then we get into what is feel. Like if we're talking yeah. about feel as a, a passer, yeah, you could say DeMar and Jalen. We were talking about feels like an offensive score. Like DeMar is definitely up there, like, mm-hmm. you know, as like how to read defenders' hips uh you know foul calls you know like he's definitely up there in that regard so i mean you know feels is super like long conversation and interesting conversation that uh i'm not smart enough to all talk about like easy hoops uh ev Mm -hmm. is really good at that um he has an article out and everyone should read that i'm probably gonna retweet it right after uh this podcast drops but yeah feels still um a topic that should be explored way more so uh yeah, like that's that's my answer, I guess. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point you bring up with Demar is that the passing it's calculated, but as far as how he feels, and this is maybe a bit too obtuse, but how he feels defenders guarding him, as you say, targeting hips or which which foot they're leaning on or anything like that, where the hands are to draw fouls, it's all very very high. Okay, so S asked a question about developing a skill that could change the ceiling of, you know, OG Siakam Fred. I think we talked about that to some degree. So Dre at Andreja, quote, rank these probably unrealistic trade targets for the Raptors. Oladipo, Vucevic, Levine, end quote. Levine, number one. Then, like, there's a huge gap. Uh, oh, my God. I really hate trade talk. <laughs> I hate trade talk. Every time I see a trade machine, I'm like, no, stop. But <sighs> Vucevic and then Oladipo, I will say that. But I only would want the Levine trade to happen, even though Vucevic has been awesome. But I just, I would only be interested in Levine. I like Vuce a lot. I like him on the, I like him on the magic though. Keep doing your thing over there. Yeah, that's and- what I mean. Like, I like, how much are we gonna drag this cha- like this contender <laughs> thing? Are we gonna be like, like the Pacers? Like, no offense to Mark uh, Pacers guy, but are we gonna just be the Pacers the whole time? Like, oh, we still have a chance, and we like selling tickets. No, like at one point it's just done. Like, we won a championship. Like, let's, let's stop dragging it out. That's the thing. I don't think there's a trade out there that any team would ever accept that would vault the Raptors into contender status. Even yes. even a really really advantageous trade for like Rashawn Holmes, who is one of the better centers in the league to me. I'm not sure about with you, but even if the Kings sold super low on him, that would make the Raptors demonstrably better. But does it vault them into like they're contending now? Man, I I don't really think so. And that's like, that's giving like a second round pick and Boucher and the Kings kind of, you know, washing their hands of it because they only have his partial bird rights. But yeah, I just, it's tough to imagine a trade that where the Raptors bring a guy in and everything starts to look better. Every time I go on the radio, they always ask me about trades. Yeah, and Boucher, Norm, and TD in a package is not good. Okay, like guys, stop. Okay, I just I just never want to see that package again. We we Boucher is not really that good of a trade target anymore. When he was averaging twenty, yeah, you could have fooled the team, but now <laughs> um, he we know who he is. Like this Boucher, Norm, like come on, guys, like we're not getting anyone enticing. The, the team option for Boucher is a nice little kicker. Like that, that could be meaningful 
in the grander scheme of things for a team that's kind of capped out and they're looking for a cheap option. But as far as being a radically, a, a player that would radically change how a team plays, I don't really think that's it. But okay, there's one last question here and uh, kind of a funny one. It's from Blake. I'm not sure if you saw this one. Blake Murphy, quote, how big a downgrade is it doing Samson's pod after getting to pod with pros in draft season, end quote. And I'll, I'll preface it by saying I listened to you on Blake's pod and I thought you did awesome. And uh, yeah, so uh, what, what are your thoughts on downgrading to, to this podcast? It's not a downgrade, man. It's an upgrade. <laughs> Just because he said that, it's an upgrade, okay? If you hear this, Blake, it's an upgrade. All right? But if you ask me to come on the pod, I'll obviously say yes. So I'll say that. I'll, I'll play both sides here. <laughs> okay so that feels like uh feels like a podcast is there anything else you feel like you want to put on wax that you think about the nba or the raptors or anything like that before we get out of here i wouldn't be opposed to trading boucher for a pick i'll say that you know i, I think everyone knows i love my draft picks yeah. <laughs> and last year i got killed <laughs> for saying we should trade norm when, while he's playing like this and you know that end up i'll end up looking right and yeah i wouldn't be mad if we traded boucher for a draft pick i like uh his contract and you know we should do it but i think that's all i have for my thoughts about the raptors that's the thing about being a draft guys actually okay one more one more question how much how much do you watch because you know your off the cuff info and knowledge kind of blows me away at times you know i can i can talk up and down about a bunch of nba teams and i know you can too but you have this deep wealth of knowledge for college stuff how much how much college do you watch man uh, I try to watch one game a day. I tr- what I try to do is, like, I haven't been watching as much NBA this season uh, because, you know, I want to watch a lot of college this year. But, yeah, I try to get in one game a day, and then I try to watch, like, one or two NBA games at night. So what I do is, like, I go, like, I have class. I watch a game, and like, you know, like, around this time. And then when it's, like, you know, like, 7 o'clock is when I watch, like, the NBA. So, um yeah. I don't know how many games I've watched this year, but it's been quite a lot. And yeah, I mean, like it's college basketball is not fun to watch, but <laughs> uh, it feels rewarding knowing that I'm doing it for a reason. Right. So when you get that big board out and uh, everybody says, wow, this is great. Instead of complaining like, about it. That's, oh, man, that, that never happens. So that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why isn't Terrence Clark top 10? Like, like, it's just, uh, okay. Sorry. One more thing. Do you have, what's your biggest win so far from this past draft season and your biggest L I suppose? Oh, biggest L easily. I was talking, um, quickly. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> I, I said some things about him on a podcast that I hope <laughs> no one remembers. Um, no, nah, but I'll, I'll claim it. I don't care. I've talked about with T, uh, T, the guy who asked question, he loved quickly. So I was just like, man, I, I, I miss bad. I thought he was like a top 50 guy and he looks great now. And I think in a sustainable way, like he looks really good. Um, by far my biggest L, my biggest W is Jaden. Like mm-hmm. I just thought, uh, like it was just, it was, he was like a punching bag at one point saying, man, like his feels garbage and stuff like that. But like, it was obvious that he was overextended and now he's playing in a lower usage role and you know, he's looking great. So I'm really happy. Like he's, he's surpassing my expectations as well. Like I didn't think it would take him this quickly to be this good. And he's not really that good in offense. Yeah. He just shoots threes, but um, it's, it's like the way he's like scaled down in a role and how he's performed has been awesome. And Mm -hmm. yeah. So quickly by far, miss uh obviously Payne Pritchard too and then Jaden and yeah everything else I think have been kind of accurate as of now I think uh McDaniels defensively he reminds me of the blue shell from Mario Kart like he'll just blow <laughs> shit up and he'll come yeah like he'll he come out of nowhere off, he tries to block it like it's crazy like he blocks with more velocity like it's like a Zion block and he's like 185 pounds like I don't know where he gets his strength when he blocks stuff man he's a marvel I love watching him move defensively because he's he's very smooth with it but okay feels like a podcast uh the floor is yours to plug 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 away if you wish and uh then we'll get out of here all right um I have a YouTube channel called some and coach I'm literally 20 away from 5,000 subscribers. So if you listen this far, might as well, you know, listen to me talk about basketball. 
I make videos about uh, draft prospects and NBA players and rookies. I made a video about Fred Van Vliet's finishing issues. I think you would like that if you're a Raptors fan. And yeah, go subscribe. So me and coach. Okay. And for my part, there's a full cosign for that recommendation. The stuff that Robel does, I think, is genuinely very high quality. The takes are usually ahead of the curve. And if not, they'll be just bang on. So it'll be worth your time. You'll learn a little bit, hopefully a lot. So, Robel, thank you so much for coming on, man. Thank you very much for having me. It was fun. Okay. And listener, that's it for you. But whether you got into this in the morning or at night, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. Have a good day and goodbye. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. And our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com slash KeepStock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.